Hello and welcome back to Take Flight Podcast. This is episode 185 with myself, Daniel, Pabilo, Shuel and Olu. In today's episode, it's no secret that professional sports have become a multi-billion dollar industry with athletes serving as the gladiators of our time, pushing their bodies to the limits while captivating our imaginations. Every year we witness these modern day warriors competing at the highest level, representing their respective sports with passion and skill. But beyond the thrill of the game itself, there's a fascinating element that often catches our attention, the financial reward that comes with being the best of the best. Today, we're here to unpack the intriguing question, who are the athletes who have ascended to the pinnacle of sports stardom and achieved the highest earnings so far in 2023? It's an ever-evolving landscape with endorsement deals, lucrative contracts, and global reach playing pivotal roles in shaping the financial fortunes of these luxury individuals. So without further ado, Let's get into it. Take off, take flight with you. Yeah, we never fly, but we're flying. So guys, you heard the opening of this week's episode, but before we kind of get into sort of athletes and what their earnings are so far in this year, have been this year rather, you know, let's let's do a, a quick roundhouse of how everyone is doing. I'm going to go immediately to above. So sure, we'll start with you. How how you been? How you been since the last time we recorded? we've been up to yes all good all good daniel thank you it's great to see you and, and the guys again it's been it's been a big week i had my graduation ceremony at cambridge so that was a really big uh, family event we had three days in cambridge together it was first time for my parents to come uh, visit the city and my wife as well came along as well as my two two younger brothers so it was a really great couple of days uh, emotional a lot of food a lot of walking as well but i really really treasured experience and then also a, a good chance to have a send-off with my amazing classmates as well so overall a, a 10 out of 10 week and yeah now I think I've got enough frameworks and theories to last me at least a few more years before I go into something like that again but yeah overall it's been it's been really good I think that there's I think that deserves a huge round of applause you know an MBA is no feat they're definitely MBAs definitely aren't scams so you know round of applause <laughs> yeah don't let the don't let the clips trick you don't let the clips trick you mbas are very very priceless so uh make sure to check that episode out if you in case you haven't uh actually with that olu how how are you on on your end i'm good thanks um firstly congratulations Shua. i think every single one of us are so proud of you feels like yesterday you started so fantastic um myself i was in paris um over the weekend so i was there for work and then i ended up staying over in Paris as well. Um, I went to an art exhibition, um, a Basquiat um, exhibition, which was a lot of fun. Did you buy um, a piece, by the way, Mr. CFO Money or not? Um, unfortunately, it was outside of my tax bracket. Um, <laughs> um, but hopefully if I play a right with properties and mortgages and all of that stuff, I'll potentially be able to afford afford an art exhibition. I heard, um, I heard Skipton's got a decent one, but you got to check that with P. <laughs> Thanks. Appreciate it. Appreciate it. Um, but yeah, it was a great weekend. It was a great weekend. But on that note, why don't we pass it on to P? How are you been? What's the market saying? What's the... Yeah, I'm all good. Been a great week. Dan, how you been? Wow, that was quick. I had myself a mute. Wow. <laughs> I wasn't ready for that, that quick flip flip of the question. P, is that it? Yeah, all good. That, As always, I'm, I'm well. Family's great. It's the, same, it's the same with me, you know? So um, yeah, Dan, how you been? Oh, wow. I wasn't ready so quickly. Yeah, I'm well. I'm good, thank you. Uh, I spent the last week in the states. Um, started off with um, started the week off in New York, and then headed to Atlanta. End of the week to spend some time with family and friends. 
before coming back to the UK. Um, fortunately, no um, no long trip back uh, like last month. I'm going by LA, but I did have a bit of a, a scare when I got a text to say that my my flight was delayed by an hour. I thought it was going to be the same old saga that I experienced two weeks prior, but fortunately not, and made up some time in the end. But apart from that, all good. Got to be back with the family, spend time with the family, um, see see my son, see my wife as well. So yeah, all good. Okay, so this episode, I thought it'd be great to to really talk about athletes. The reason I chose this topic, topic were, I think, twofold. One, because I saw an article published by Forbes um, at the beginning of May around the highest paid athletes. And then second is, um, I think there's a sort of, um, uh, uh, I would say, prejudice given, or, you know, we... we we are in our thinking somewhat negative towards footballers individually in this company, in country, sorry. I say that because when we see players sign a deal for X amount a week, like we've seen Bukayo Saka just sign a new deal with Arsenal, I think for a reported 300,000 a week. Now everyone commences on-field ability, but when people are getting paid you know, such amounts, people tend to you know, frown upon it and compare it to maybe, oh, look, you know, there's, you know, extreme cost of living crisis. And anyway, that aside, people always seem to, it, the, the, the price that they're being paid always seems to have a negative impact off the field. So I thought it'd be good just to maybe have a conversation around this because, of course, they work very hard. You know, we see them as playing football. Yes, whilst they, they may love what they do. And everyone always says, if you love the job you do, you never work in your life. But we also don't think about the times they're not working. So we think they're playing a match, but they're actually on a Sunday at four o'clock, they're, they're actually going to work. They're going to work throughout the week. When they're training, it's not training, it's actually work. Um, but I thought we could just unpack this along with some other sports. So I thought, you know, I would start and set the scene to sort of highlight the current list of the highest paid athletes across different sports and leagues around the world. And also the factors that contribute to their high earnings, such as endorsement deals, um, prize money, and of course their salary. So to start with, um, I'll just go from, from one to 10 to make it very simple. At number one, it's it's maybe surprise may not be, but at 136 million for 2023 is footballer Cristiano Ronaldo. His salary on field is 46 million. These are all going to be in dollars, by the way, 46 million dollars. And off the field, it's 90 million dollars. He's 38 years old. At number two, it's uh, many will say his rival, Lionel Messi, at 130 million, so six million um, shy of Cristiano. His on-field salary, or on-field earnings rather, is 65 million. Off the field, equally, 65 million, and he's 35. Number three is French international, Kylian Mbappé. On-field earnings at 100 million, off-field earnings 20 million, and he's 24. I think he's the youngest, he's the highest paid athlete in the world when it comes to on-field earnings, and also one of the youngest overall in terms of his earnings globally. Number four uh, is the recent player who lost in the NBA um, series finals, LeBron James, at 119.5 million. His on-field earnings are 44.5, off-field 75, and he is 38. Number five is Saul Canelo Alvarez, 110 million. He's a boxer, if anyone doesn't know, uh, famously fought Floyd Mayweather at the tender age of 21, I believe. His on-field earnings are 100 million, off-field 10 million. He's 32 and Mexican. At number six, it's Dustin Johnson. No relation to me. Otherwise, I'll not be doing this podcast. I'll be living off the fat of the land. At 107 million. On-field earnings, surprisingly, 102 million. 
and off-field 5 million. He's from the United States and 38. At number seven, also from the US, is Phil Mickelson. 104 million on-field, off-field 2 million. Nationality, US, as I just said, and he's 52. Um, I don't know if I've mentioned, but Dustin Johnson and also Phil Mickelson both uh, play golf. At number eight, Steph Curry, uh, 100.4 million. On-field earnings, 48.4 and off-field 52. Basketball player, US and 35. At number nine, one of the greats of the sport of tennis, 95.1 million is Roger Federer. On-field earnings, 0.1 million. Off-field, 95. Surprisingly, shockingly high. He's Swiss and 41. And at number 10, someone who I had the pleasure of watching play basketball in uh, March this year is Kevin Durant of the Phoenix Suns. 89.1 million is his total earnings. Off-field, 44.1. Off-field, 45 million. And he's 34. One thing I'll say with the off-field earnings, it includes endorsements, but also um, any investment deals that they've done. So a lot of these athletes that I've mentioned do investments on the side. So, for example, um, LeBron James, he invests a lot on the side. Uh, Roger Federer, he invests. Also, Kevin Durant invests a lot as well. Um, but one thing that stood out to me was the two golf players, actually, that both of their on-field earnings are over 100 million and the off-field are very small, which makes me think, you know, the, the earnings and prize money in golf is very, very lucrative. But it's also, you know, I think we'll get into the sort of disparity across sports later on in this episode. Um, now that I've said that, uh, I thought it would, be, it would be good to open up the conversation around the disparity or the wealth disparities between different sports and leagues, as I was just alluding to, and comparing the salaries of endorsements. So I think we'll just kind of go around, maybe touch on one or two points, uh, you know, from, you know, based on what I said, and also maybe some research you've done also yourself. So, Pete, to start us off with, you know, what would you highlight in the earnings from the players I've mentioned and also um, the earnings across different sports globally? Yeah, sure. Actually, just before I dive into that uh, precise question, I wanted to come back to your earlier opening statement um, around, I guess, the stigma that, uh, you know, athletes face in terms of when their earnings are released. And I think it's very important for us all to understand, and, and we know, and also to the listeners, you are paid, you know, relative to how many people can actually do what you do. So we are talking about very rare talents that, you know, are in many way, in many cases of one of one. The second thing also, we also can't forget that these uh, athletes have been um, dedicating themselves to this particular sport since the age of three or five. So I know there's always been a conversation around teachers should get paid more, right? Or things of, or things of that nature. But when you think about someone who's dedicated themselves to a craft, one particular craft day in and day out for five to seven days a week, since the age of three until now, or, you know, for 25 years, you know, then it starts to, I think that conversation should also be put in the context of what that person earns. And I think the other thing to say, and more particularly with the football field, is their career uh, span is very short. So they're not earning a lot of money for a period of time. So I think I think it's important to, to mention that and not just, you know, people see the numbers and they think, oh, it's unfair, right? Anyone can kick a ball on a football pitch and it's not quite the case. So um, my, my, my takeaway when I saw that list, what you're seeing is the top three, uh, the top three slots being taken by football, which is quite interesting. Uh, and I think, especially on, the, on that third slot, you know, that's very much driven, Kylian Mbappe, very much driven by foreign investments and new capital coming into that league that perhaps wasn't there before. So 
you know, what effect does does that what effect has that had on the league and, and also moving forward? But no surprise to see basketball, also golf. I think what's interesting we can bring out at a later stage is the all-time list and, and how that list ranks compared to what we see now. But I think you definitely are starting to see football sort of emerging in the ranks and holding on those those sort of top top three, top five slots. Uh, thanks for that, Pian. Yeah, you, you definitely highlighted the word I was looking for earlier, which is the stigma associated with the high earnings of footballers. Oli, what would your perspective be on this? Yeah, I think great points by P. Um, the only thing I'll add is um, what dictates how much um, a lot of these athletes are paid is based on the revenue in which the sports in which they play generates. So if you look across the board, right, and that's where I started, I first said, let me look at out of all the different leagues and professional sports, what is the revenue generated from them? So the top of it is NFL, so American football at 17 billion. Then the next one is Major League uh, Baseball, which was at nine or um, nine, 10 billion. Then you've got basketball at around 9.5, and then you've got the Premier League at 6 billion, right? So initially I thought, okay, I would expect to see NFL players on the top of that list. But then I thought, let me drill down and think another, think of it from another angle. Out of those sports that I've named and leagues I've mentioned, which one has more global reach? And it's football, right? A lot of those ones that we talked about that have high revenue are very American focused. Yes. They will have people watching maybe the Super Bowl final, but you don't really get much people all over the world maybe tuning in for regular season games of the NFL versus football. You've got the Spanish League, you've got the French League. It's all over the world, World Cup, etc. So that's why I'm not really surprised at the top three um, on that list, them being football-related or soccer for any of our American listeners out there. Um, then the second part, of this is how important the split between sort of the salary and endorsements become, right? Uh, P's mentioned a lot of these people have dedicated their lives to this, right? They become the best in some cases, LeBron James, one of one, right? Generational talent. And when you become that big or that talented at your field, your brand, your image starts to um overseas or precede your sort of um your salary and what you're making on a daily basis like you as an entity is a lot larger so then that's when the endorsement element of it starts to and the off-field element of it starts to make a big influence on you so yeah those are sort of the two points i i sort of noticed was one why were soccer and football plays at the top of the list because it's a global sport and then secondly the split between salary on-field and off-field endorsements split. And it's mainly due to talent, brand, and years in a particular sport. Thanks. I don't, I don't, think, I don't think we've got that global reach, so we're definitely going to keep this football with the one that you play with your feet, not soccer. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Pete, Pete but so it does, you're going to say something. Yeah, I was going to just add to, to uh, great points also, uh, Olu, you mentioned. It does ask the question, why are NFL players not paid maybe as well as they should relative to how much the sport generates, even though it's not as global reach, as much of a global reach as maybe the the, the, the football in that sense and how the World Cup spreads? But, 
Because I've just. But could could you could you then? I don't know NFL too 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 detailed. Hmm. But also, I know that NFL teams are a lot bigger. So in the overall That's... kind of roster spend, it might actually equate to a Premier League team or something. So where you might have 30, 40 players, hmm. you know, on like ten year contracts as well. You also, and also, I'm not sure on like the setup of insurance, whether they pay out insurance and, you know, their players are insured. So they might have a very different structure to how it is in the Premier League. So what I find on that list, and I think we're probably going to publish that Forbes list, is if you look just at the on-field salary, you've got certain people like Russell Wilson, which is only like 72 million, which will then bring him in sort of the top five, top 10 level. But, it, but it's the endorsement. But the endorsement element, because of the fact that they're very US focused, someone in in Malaysia might not know who they are. And no, no I, I love that point because what's interesting about the data is that when you look at the endorsement deals for the NFL, of course, they're, they're top in terms of the number of brands associated with the NFL compared to the NBA or, or MLB. NFL has actually 2 billion of endorsement uh, revenue coming into the league. So twice as much as the NBA. But to your point, you've got Russell Wilson making 72 million on field, not so much off field. So it's very interesting in terms of how contracts are structured and of course the weighting of teams. The last thing I actually point I wanted to mention before I hand it to Shuel is coming back a little bit to the point I mentioned earlier, I still actually think even though these numbers to the average person seem astronomical, I think in many cases, a lot of players are underpaid because how do you equate the value that they bring to their team? We also, we've all seen cases where a player transfers to, for example, Real Madrid, and within that seven days, they've been able to make up make up their transfer in, sh in shirt sales. LeBron James goes to Cleveland, and I, th I think it was estimated that he brings, you know, close to like hundreds of millions of, of, of dollars to the town from economic standpoint. So it's, it's, it's the question comes down to that whole, you know, uh, it's the job salary versus, you know, that equity piece, which we'll get into at some point. And, and I think yeah, that sure. also brings the point. That's what I was going to say. That also brings the point of brand image, which we'll get into in a moment. I think brand image is very important when it comes to athletes. Um, but even just structuring as contracts, you know, if I was LeBron, I'll ask for like a percentage of shirt sales because, boy, if you don't ask, you don't get. But sorry, Shuel, right. um, over sorry, to you. Just to sorry, before Shuel goes on, um, maybe the reason why some of these NFL players are not there is remember when crypto was such a big thing. I know a lot of them took their salary. So maybe that put them further down in the list. <laughs> Unfortunately. <laughs> yeah, I think um actually it's the the, the points I had is is actually a, a good build on on the discussion because I think all, Daniel gave a good framing of the individual players and then obviously we've had the discussion around the leagues. I think the the data point that I was looking at is more at at the overall league level, which are the sports leagues that are generating the most amount of revenue at the top of the funnel before we go into individual players and, and sponsorships. And it actually surprised me because I think a lot of us look at how much the US is obsessed with NFL and how they think it's like the biggest sport in the world, but it hasn't really translated across other geographies across the globe outside of the US, maybe outside of Canada. Um, but actually, if you look at the 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 amount that it's revenue generating as a league, it's based on this source, $16 billion, which is actually the highest generating revenue sports league in the world. So if the NFL is number one at $16 billion, number two is the Indian Premier League, which is actually the cricket league that has only um, been relatively new compared to the NFL. It's only in, the, in, in decades rather than a multi-decade league. This is around the $10 billion range. And then Major League Baseball, 
is around just under um, 11 billion. So already the top three, if you add the fourth, would be NBA. So the top four leagues in terms of generating the most amount of revenue overall for a league are all US apart from the IPL, which is um, obviously an Indian cricket league. The Premier League comes in at number five and that's at five billion. So that's half the amount of what um, the MLB is generating and a third of what the NFL is generating. So I was thinking actually more the economics, how that then translates to the next step where if those leagues are generating the most amount of money, then the owners are probably getting uh, very wealthy from owning clubs. There's probably a lot of adver- advertising. We know the US is very big on marketing. So a lot of that revenue is also coming through. But then if you translate that to the list that Daniel shared and the discussion that we've had on a per player basis, you don't see all the volume of NFL, Major League Baseball players coming through, even NBA, apart from the, the big ones that we mentioned. So I think my reflection was that these leagues are generating the most amount of money. But in terms of a player basis, uh, that money clearly isn't going down to the players because of because of multiple factors. But from a league standpoint, you can see why why advertisers are focusing behind the bigger American leagues and why, as a country, they can generate so much money behind it. No, I agree with those points. And thanks for giving the context of the overall global sorts of leagues in before we go into the, the players. And P mentioned a point earlier about foreign investment. When you look at Kylian Mbappe, uh, PSG, um, which has a lot of overseas investment, they can now afford to play, pay sorry, such high um, wages and such high salaries. And when you look at the Premier League, for example, Manchester City, which in 2010, 2011 had um, overseas investment, you've seen the, the, the fruit it's yielded. They're on course for a treble this year. Um, so you can definitely see how that has an element to be able to attract the best players and also to pay higher earning, um, higher salaries. Also Chelsea, were um, bought last last year, and Manchester Manchester United are also in talks of being sold by the Glazers. So it's um, very very interesting to see how this landscape is going to play out. But also, you see that a lot of these American, you know, owners are very very wealthy. Some of them just have these other you know teams that they own for fun and just are a cash cow and funnel. For example, um, the Arsenal owner doesn't really you know. It's, I think it's fair to say compared to his other investments and his other businesses. Arsenal probably the least one he cares about because he makes billions um, in the US from his um, sports franchises alone. Uh, but I thought we, we can we can move over to sort of endorsements. Um, and I think you know when, when we look at the, the on-field salaries, yes, they they're definitely not numbers that are minuscule, very very healthy numbers. But we also see that the off-field endorsements and where they get their earnings from is similarly as important. And I thought we could sort of just spend a few moments about how athletes can leverage their on-field success and personal brand to secure lucrative endorsements and you know what does this impact have on their overall income you know just to quickly point out i'll start off with cristiano ronaldo um and i'll I'll let the the three of you go and you know explore other other um, athletes and other leagues as well when you look at cristiano ronaldo it's definitely fair to say he's got a global reach I believe he's the most followed person on Instagram with over, I think, 500 million views. I'm sorry, 500 million followers, if I recall correctly. And this is a guy who takes pride in his image, who loves the work he does, is passionate about the work he does, and is very, very, I would say, even obsessed. Mm -hmm. And I think when you look at him, as an individual, what he's achieved over the last 15 years, 
or 20 years, um, let's say. He's been someone who's very, very much, as P alluded to earlier, dedicates time into his work. I, I recall reading or reading an interview, hearing an interview years ago, how, how he would practice his free kicks. When everyone's gone in, he's still out on the field practicing his free kicks. I think maybe he'll have done a bit more practice because his free kicks now aren't, you know, um, having a long lasting effect. But let's 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 be real. At 38, he's in very, very good shape. Very good shape. And he, I think he warrants, I won't say I think, whether he warrants what he gets paid, I don't know. But definitely moving from the Premier League and Manchester United, where you know he fell out of out of um, place with the, the management, the coaching staff, etc., to move into the Saudi league. What he's been able to do, not only did he generate millions for Manchester United in because I I bought a number seven Ronaldo shirt, but he, he did that for Manchester United. He brought, I would say he brought a lot of excitement and injection to the Premier League. I think even with that year when he joined, whether you're a Manchester United player or not. You wanted to watch him because you thought, I want to see this man live in a stadium at least once in my life. He might not be in his prime, but at least he's going to be entertaining. Um, they're moving to the Saudi League, now putting the Saudi football on the map. The teams that no one had ever heard of. I think, you know, the, the previous, the only guy I knew the Saudi Al Nasser team was Abu Bakr for is it Cameroon that was bodying up the World Cup. <laughs> My guy's 24, but looks like he's 50. But anyway, nah, Gustavo, Gustavo, don't disrespect it. Gustavo. <laughs> but, but, but to put it this way, I didn't know any players like that. But then when Ronaldo joined, they had, they flew out the whole family on a private jet. They had like an opening ceremony for him when he signed to come out on the pitch before he even played. And they made it a spectacle. And there were, you know, rumors that uh, Messi might move over to, to a rival team as well. So it's really interesting just to see what your personal brand how you value yourself can also attract sponsorship deals. You know, Ronaldo has how many, you know, deals with Nike, uh, with okay, crypto firms, you know, Binance, uh, I think LiveScore. You know, this guy can just about speak English, but he's still doing adverts in English and then he will get millions for it. So it's crazy just how much your presence, your even your reach on social media nowadays can have an impact on how much you can ask for. Because if you've got over 500 million followers, well, this one clip is going to get X amount of views. I'm going to have influence over those people. So it's just it's just interesting to see the rise of social media, how this can play a part in off-field endorsements, not to mention their personal investments. Um, but yeah, I thought you know, that's just kind of my quick take on this. Um, I'll head over to you, uh, to, to you, Olu, on, on who you want to share. Yeah, um, I'm going to go in the um, NBA, so along the lines of basketball. So I've actually watched a really good movie called Air, which is based on um, or story about uh, Michael Jordan and the story of his mom and how she negotiated his endorsement deal with um, Nike, right, with um, the Jordan brand, etc. right? If you haven't watched it, I highly recommend you watch it. But because we're looking at sort of current athletes, um, I'm going to focus on LeBron James, right? The first element, and I think whenever we talk about this endorsement for any sport, any athlete starts with talent, right? You need to be talented. Yeah. <laughs> you can't be the average player on your team. You can't even just only be the best player in your team. You need to be the best player or one of the top players in the sport to be able to 
generate the large endorsement deals that we're talking about. Then the second element, so after you've built your brand over your talent, the way you carry yourself, your image, especially if you're able to translate that image to what I call more family safe household names, right? That also helps. Like someone like LeBron James, he's been in the league for such a long time, being the number one draft, talented from such a young age. He's been the poster boy, right? He hasn't done anything controversial when it comes to his image or his brand. Um, the next thing, which is, I think, or two elements, which are my last two points, which is really critical. One is the negotiation element of it, right? You've seen in multiple sports, they're not happy with just cash up front. They need to either get royalties, stocks, dividends. If it's some sort of um, royalty payment per shoe or per whatever product is being sold, a percentage of whatever product is being sold, they need to make sure that it's tied into the success of that particular product, right? Which is critical. And then I'll say my last point. So one, making sure you're renegotiating or you're negotiating those deals to make sure that they're royalty equity based. And then most importantly, invest in the money that you have when you make that endorsements or investing in those brands. LeBron James done it with Nike, right? I think Steph Curry did it with Under Armour, right? It's instead of just giving me a check, give me equity. Let me invest on that side. So those are really what I sort of took when I thought about the endorsement element. But I'll pass it on to um, P or Shuwa. Yeah, so actually I'll be happy to jump in after Olu because I think the, the person that I was thinking of in category complements it quite well. The person that I wanted to highlight was actually Bronny James, who is the child of LeBron James. Um, and the reason why I wanted to highlight him in terms of endorsements is that with his recent agreement to join a uh, Californian uh, university in America, he signed a deal for $5.9 million, which makes him the highest paid college athlete in US sports ever. And that's only because in it was only in recent years that they changed the laws and legislations where college athletes could actually cash in on their on their personal brand. Now, Bronny obviously is the, the the eldest son of LeBron James, who Olu just talked about. But already at a young age, he's got deals with Nike, with Beats by Dre, and even an underwear company. And I think it, it speaks to a broader point that in this generation where we have TikTok, YouTube, you have sports players creating podcasts or they're still playing at the same time rather than doing it as a post-retirement um, activity. The opportunity is really there where if you can really strategically create this personal brand behind you that's authentic, that uh, people seem to gravitate towards, then these sponsorship deals, I can only imagine going going one direction and that's up. So college sports is a, is a small example, but I think it represents the opportunity that is really growing across all all sports, even if you're the the son of a, of a famous sports star. So that was the example I wanted to share. P, should we go to you? Yeah, no, just really aligned actually with with the points that you guys have, have, have shared. And I think that when it comes to endorsements, the key word that comes to mind is, is leverage. And, and Olu's mentioned these points. You can, you are in a position to leverage when you've been, when you've delivered on, on your talent and you've, you've won championships. And uh, Olu, you mentioned the documentary about air. There's actually another documentary on Netflix called Money. And one of the examples on that documentary was about Michael Jordan and his his rise to the number one spot in terms of 
all-time highest paid all-time athletes and, and he's number one at 3.3 billion and and the, and the and the message there was he made his he made um, he made millions from his labor but he made billions from 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 equity and capital so one of the other you know key things that comes out from a conversation around endorsements is that no matter what your field is your biggest payday will never come from your job because let's not forget that these guys are working it's it's their job it's it's a great job right if you're if you're talented and so it's no surprise that a lot of the off field amount of money and what they can actually earn in their lifetime is a lot more than what they've been able to earn on their actual uh on 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 their actual uh, playing time so i think i think it's just yeah keyword is leverage uh you know Olu and Shaw have mentioned some great points and just that just that i think that the what i'd actually like to see actually moving forward is i think what someone mentioned earlier in, in the conversation is stronger negotiations on players understanding their real worth and saying look you know i want a percentage of 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 sales or you know let let me i'll take less uh active income and i'll up me on the equity based on our ability to to win championships or something along those natures so let's see that that could be maybe the next wave of of negotiations uh for for key top players as a on that point that you just mentioned sorry p if you were an agent of an athlete, would you recommend them to do that? Because especially if it's a team sport where there's so many different factors that could cut your cost down. Um, yeah. I guess it, it depends on, it, it, it comes down back down to that leverage, but also I guess what regulations are in place to ensure maybe there's not one particular player in the team that has such a unique contract. But, mm. you know, I could, I don't know if Ronaldo was in that position before he moved to, before he moved to Saudi Arabia, mm. I guess because he accepted a 200 million contract, which is effectively active income, could he have in that negotiated something more of an equity side? Would they have allowed it? I'm not sure. Mm. But but just at that point, I think, of course, there are like pay or well, performance-based bonuses that players get, football players get. There's also in the transfer fees that if, for example, the team that the person joins, especially if it's a young player, 17, still active. They, win a, they win a title, they, get the, they have to pay more of the... Um, transfer fee to the to the previous club so there are bonuses that are paid there are also probably parts of specific contracts that say you know if i help you set up relegation you get x amount bonus so there are definitely these things that we're not going to be aware of but you know for example our works we get a base salary and most people get a bonus or an annual bonus i'm sure they have some performance related bonus that they may be eligible for as well yeah no but but that's still active income so that's still bonus related uh, it's, it'll be interesting oh I wonder if if there it would be interesting to to have I mean these these guys we've mentioned that are top 10 they are one of one generational talents. So I don't know if maybe they've had a conversation you know like the likes of Rich Paul can we get a piece of you know part is it part, I think I think Michael Jordan did that. I think that's what he's deal with the Washington Wizards part owner part well, player. Well, we'll put it this way if they're doing it they ain't going to be talking out about it because it'll probably be an agreement keep it hush hush <laughs> because yeah, you know these 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 these, these, these um, clubs and these leagues aren't going to be wanting to do this for every single player. So, yes, interesting. And I think we're kind of moving, you know, having that segue into sort of future trends. Uh, but before that, I think it's very interesting, Chiro, you, you spoke about LeBron James' son because I think it's exciting as a young player to be, you know, signing a 5.6 or 5.9 million deal. But for me, that also brings pressure. Like, for example, Zinedine Zidane's son does not have Zidane on the back of his shirt because he wants to be his own sort of player, not have pressure. 
maybe you don't want to headbutt no one. Um, but no, it's just interesting to see the footsteps that they, they follow, especially when you're a, a child of a great um, and the pressure that, that can also have, um, um, you know, with you. But I think, you know, when we talk about future trends, when we talk about future trends, I think it's interesting to see because I'll just, I'll just draw sort of two examples. Social media, I think now has a huge way to have leverage, as P mentioned. When you look at, for example, the Jake brothers, Logan, sorry, not Jake brothers, the Paul brothers, Logan Paul and Jake Paul. These guys started off as YouTubers. One in particular, Jake Logan got cancelled a couple of years ago for a video that he posted. But look at him now, making millions. These guys, Logan Paul is in, is in Steve, uh, is in McMahon's WWE, jumping off, doing these somersaults and frog splash and all sorts yeah, at WrestleMania. Cold. He's cold. <laughs> I, I even watched him, I ain't gonna lie, I watched him. Um, yeah, he's, he's in cold. WWE, boxing on the side. Jake Paul doing boxing, and he's not bad for what he is. You know, let's, 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 let's keep it real. He's not, he's not the best because he's not a natural boxer, but he's not bad. He'll probably wrap me up, I ain't gonna lie, he'll wrap me up. And, you know, these guys live in Puerto Rico. You know, they live in tax-free. They live in good life. They, they're living in some big places. But it's just, it's interesting to see how much, how their YouTube presence has been able to allow them to fight big names, renowned names in the world of UFC. Jake Paul fighting fight, fight Nate Diaz in a couple of months, knocking out some, some, some fighters. And, you know, we didn't get on to talk about boxing, but that would have been a good topic, you know, to talk about like Floyd Mayweather, Canelo, and all these other, um, other up-and-coming boxers that are, you know, in their prime, you know, because boxing is a very interesting sport of, you know, how they get paid, promotions, etc., prize money, underdog versus the the, 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 main, the main card. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's very interesting to see what the future is going to hold when social media is going to have a huge impact on leverage, on their presence, on their followers to enable them to not only, you know, have such a huge presence in the world of sport, but also how much money and income they can they can generate from that no i actually wanted to add i was it just came to mind so that that list actually that list potentially is incorrect that top 10 list i'll tell you why because the the number one spot is not cristiano ronaldo it's actually a six out of ten solid central defensive midfielder who is reported to be uh, worth around 10 billion dollars do you know what i'm referring to oh i know Ma- matthew flamini matthew flamini flamini sorry but but but, but, but so, 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 so yeah, I, I only say I only say that I only say that it will always come down to an equity. It will always come down to an equity play. So I mean, for the listeners, he's yeah. no longer playing. He 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 um, started up a, a biotech company, and reportedly he's worth ten billion uh, um, dollars. So, but the, but the, yeah. the the key message there I wanted to send was was the equity part. Hey, don't 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 try and say the list is incorrect. It's all too bad highest paid current athletes from 1st of May 2022 to 1st of May 2023 so even for example I think I think it doesn't even capture Canelo's last uh, boxing fight because it was outside of that 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 um that time frame but if it was included I think it would actually jump up to number three or four or or two but yeah don't try and undermine me with my agenda bro I see and I still know who you're talking about as well number 16 Arsenal Mathieu Flamini yeah (laughs) okay sure sure over to you future trends quick take I think just uh, reiterating the points that, that I mentioned actually just in the previous segment, I think now is the opportunity. It's just only going to get bigger and better. I think the number of opportunities will increase. The amount of money that we see exchanging hands for promotion will also increase. And I think we'll see more uh, sports players taking a more active ownership on their personal brand while they're still playing rather than a post-retirement 
trend. So yeah, everything's everything's going up. Cool. Thanks. And Olu, round us up. Yeah, on my side, in terms of the future trends, I see it. I'm going to say a little, something a little bit more controversial. I see it switching the other way around um, in the short term. In terms of, I think we're especially in the top, we're starting to see a lot of players with higher endorsements than salary. I actually think in the next few years, it's going to probably switch and we're going to see more salary. So like Mbappe getting 100 million, I think is that's going to go to 150, 200. And the reason that is going to be is because sports is going to become even more globalized and it's just going to be more revenue generated in there. So you've got technology such as AR, Right. So imagine nowadays people want to be in a stadium. They can put on these goggles and they're courtside seat and they at the NBA um, final. Right. People are going to pay for that, which then will mean these different leagues and whatever will be able to generate even more revenue, which then means they'll be able to offer higher salaries to certain players as well. So that's the trend I think is going to happen on my side. I thank you for sharing. Thank you. I think we could I definitely would love us to go longer. To talk about the world of uh, boxing, golf, and even tennis. You know, you've seen the long-standing rivalry between uh, Roger Federer and also um, Rafael Nadal, who said, you know, he, look, he looks to retire next year. And of course, of course, of course also the rise in um, um, Djokovic. And then you look at Emma Radic- uh, Radicanu, um, Serena Williams, Venus Williams, etc. You look at all those great tennis players. Um, mm. But unfortunately, we don't have that time. But it'll, it'll definitely be good to maybe even another future time to talk about even the all-time highest athletes as well retired and, and yeah. active Good just wanted to mention one quick point Oli you mentioned it earlier and I think it's a very very uh just a small piece to add in all of this is predicated based on how good your sports agent is and and how how better will these sports agents become how smarter will they become because the, the athletes themselves will never will only ever have a certain level of IQ some are smarter than others but it will be interesting to see how the sports agency across leagues evolves over time. If they get better, the contracts get better, they get smarter, and athletes get wealthier. So it, it all depends on, on if you look at Al Heyman in the boxing world, you know, nobody knows what he looks like. Uh, people, people have hardly heard of him, but he's actually the person that is pulling all the strings. You know, Rich Paul on the, on the NBA side. So it's, it's, quite, it's quite interesting on what happens from that standpoint. Yeah. And just on that, I don't even think it's about the agents. It's also their advisors. I think there's someone that we, I think three of us in this podcast follow, a, a guy based in Atlanta who's been show, show, showcasing some athletes in the US who've been screwed over by the advisors and just pocketing millions from them. So I think even when you look at the off-field endorsements, it's where the investments go. And the guy we're talking, I'm talking about is Rashawn Williams. Um, anyone who doesn't know him, follow him on Instagram. Great guy. Um, gives some good, good tips and lives a good life. Let's put it that way. But it's also who their advisors are, because when it comes to footballers in particular, they have a lot of money and they know that their their career doesn't span multi-decades. And therefore, they want to put their money to work. And it's always about who is your advisor, who's telling you what to do. Can they be trusted? We saw that Craig Bellamy went bankrupt. Wes Brown, former Manchester United player, was declared bankrupt. Emmanuel Boe, Arsenal player, Different story. No, Triple he's good. He's good. Of... He's good. Trust me, he's good. Oh, now, now, now he is. Now he is. Now he is. But yeah, let's just say he went through some personal issues that got him crippled. Um, but yeah, I think we'll, we'll stop at that juncture. But thank you all for listening to episode 185 of Take Fight Podcast. We hope you found it enthralling, fascinating, and enriching. 
And if you want any advice on how to structure an equity sort of deal, go to P. He'll give us some great, some great advice. You don't need an agent. You just need him. But until next time, stay safe, stay well, and God bless. If you have any feedback for us, find us on Instagram, Take Flight Podcast, TikTok, Take Flight Podcast, YouTube, Take Flight Podcast. Our DMs are always open. Peace. Take off, take off.